Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Because he, he wasn't created to be alone. He wasn't created to work alone. He wasn't created to guard and protect alone. He wasn't created to enjoy the garden alone. He wasn't created to only please himself by being alone. He wasn't created to be that. Something was missing. What was missing? He was created in the image of a God who has never been alone. Stories have been used over time to pass information from one generation to the next. The Bible contains stories simple enough for a child to read and yet deep enough to engage scholars. Not myths or fanciful tales, the Bible contains stories that reveal some of the mysteries of the world we live in and its creator. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in a series titled The Eight Greatest True Stories in the Bible. Let's join Dr. Corbett as we follow up on the creation with the true story of the origin of mankind. And by understanding these eight key and important stories, you will be able to understand the story of the Bible. If we were using trendy language, we would use the meta narrative, which means the overarching story that all of these stories fit into. Let me tell you that the Bible is a story, and that's quite remarkable. And for those who have ever tried to read other so called religious holy books, you'll notice they're not stories. The Quran is not a story, it's a collection of occasional references to things. and but it's not a story. There's no beginning, middle and end. And, and I'm going to make that point in a moment. That the power, there is a power to a story. A story is something that can transform people. It can do all kinds of wonderful things. There's, the thing that a, a story can do is it, it can help people to remember things. It can build what's called a collective memory. Stories can also unite people. We in Australia have the Anzac story. We're told that as children in primary school, we celebrate it in high school, we remember it every April 25th. We have a collective story that helps us to identify ourselves what it means to be Australian. Stories can also give direction. They, they, can, they help a people, a family, to know where they've come from. And if you know where you've come from, you've got a better chance of figuring out where you're going. These are some of the things that stories do. There are different types of stories. There are made-up stories. This is what we call fictional stories. There are mythological stories, stories of myth. And a myth can be made up, People who study ancient and classic literature don't refer to myth as something that's completely made up. They actually refer to it as, as stories that have supernatural, inexplicable elements to them. So this can be quite confusing for those of us who, who only think myth is something made up, but we can read of J.R.R. Tolkien who described some of the stories of the Bible as myths and we think, oh... He means they're not true, but he didn't mean they're not true. He meant they had and have supernatural elements to them, inexplicable supernatural elements. C.S. Lewis did the same thing. There's also another type of story. It's called a legend. A legend is where you take a truth, a true account, maybe a true piece of history, and you exaggerate it 
right out. Um, you all are too young to remember a cricketer by the name of Jeff Thompson. Tomo, we used to call him, back in the 20th century. And he was the world's fastest bowler. He could bowl a cricket ball faster than any man has ever been able to bowl a cricket ball. He was feared. And the English didn't like him at all. In fact, there was a, a game on in England where, where Tomo, uh, first, first tour of England, he, he bowled and the ball came so fast through the air, it, it not only did it hit the you know, LBW right there, the, the pad right there, but it actually put a hole through the man's shin and, went and kept going through and had a hole mark through the stumps. And, and Tomo just turns around and goes like this, and the umpire goes, not out. It's like, unbelievable. And then he said, okay. So he comes back. And, and he bowls again, and they can't even see the ball this time, and it puts a hole through the other pad and the other leg and the other side of the three stumps. And he goes, how's that? And he goes, not out. So he goes, all right. So now he's determined, they were only his slow balls. Now he's determined to come back, and he gives it full steam ahead. It knocks the guy's legs off from under him. The stumps go flying everywhere, and he goes, how's that? And the umpire goes, yeah, that might have been out. And, and so that's what we call a legend. For those who are going, really, did that happen? No, it didn't. That's the stories that were told about how fast this guy could bowl, and it's a legend. You on track with me? Yeah. There's another type of story, it's called history, where it's actually a fairly accurate account of things as they happened. So they're the types of stories, and, and some people have the, the idea that the Bible is full of legend and untrue myths, and, and I'm only taking the true, verifiably true stories that are in the Bible. So this, each of these stories, as I mentioned before, they, they are stories that, that move toward a, a conclusion. And, 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 the, and the Bible itself is a story that, that we could break down into four words. And there will be an exam on this afterwards. So if you're not taking notes, I just, well, whatever. But here's the four words that define the overall message of Scripture. It's creation fall, redemption, and restoration. That's it. That's the story. As a, a parent, we, we understand that every, every story, you have to tell your kids when, when, they're watch, when, when you're reading them a story that has a, a sad bit or a bad bit, you have to remind your children as a, as a parent, every story has a good bit, a bad bit, and uh, am I the only parent that did it? A good bit. We, otherwise, the, the child, can, you know, it's just hang in there, hang in there, little red riding hood should be okay. Let's, it's every story, good bit, bad bit, good bit. That's what makes a story. It's just new information for people. <laughs> Amazing. So, well, anyway, so every good story also has two essential elements every story and if I had the time I would make the case that every story is actually based on the ultimate story which is the Bible but here's the two elements that every good story has firstly it has a plot and the plot is good bit bad bit good bit that's the plot secondly 
every good story has a hero. And if you study literature, you're probably going to come up to me, you English types, and you're going to come up to me and you go, it's not a hero, it's a protagonist. And I go, I know, but I'm an Aussie. We use the word hero. Just get out of my way. I'm going for a coffee. Just... It's... So th- those two things, a plot and a hero. Every good story. Um, Kim and I watched a, a movie about the, uh, supposedly the end of the world. And, and the movie was, you know, these people are trying to drive away from earthquakes and all kinds of things and things are going horribly wrong and they get in the car and they drive and they drive and they drive and they just look out as the earthquake coming and the, the thing, the world's falling apart and the movie just stops. Thinking, something wrong with this story. <laughs> it didn't have a very good plot because it missed the good bit at the end. Remember, remember I said that? Good bit, bad bit, good bit. A plot fits into that and it has a hero. It didn't have any of that. Therefore, and for some reason, Hollywood gave them millions of dollars to make this thing, even though it didn't account for much. Right, Michael, bring up your shark knife, please. Uh, you may, if you're sitting in the front row, you might want to go back. This could get a bit messy. I'm just, just I'm, I'm legending. Just. All right, here we go. This is your vegetable peeler? Yeah. <laughs> Michael, I want you to choose an, an, appropriate, an appropriate animal. Are we doing onions? We are. I was, okay. I was kidding. I just wanted to see what the response would be. Pick one that will, that will serve our purposes best. That one there. Okay. Thank you. All right. So I mentioned last week that the Bible itself is, is, is actually a, it's a story that, that has um, layers to it. And it's important that, that we understand how these layers work. So for some people... You know, imagine, imagine eating, oh, mm, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's delicious. Anyone want a bite? And that's how it is for some people reading the Bible. It's like, it's dry. It's, it's like, like, I don't even get it. And, and they go, I don't know what you Christians are on about. It's just yuck. But what we can do, as Michael's now going to demonstrate with his shark knife... Is that sharp enough? It's very sharp. Can you take the next layer off? The the Bible actually has layers of truth that are so simple, a a child can enjoy it. And if if you've ever had onion do what it does to a soup or something like that, that fried up is like the closest thing to paradise. It's just awesome. So... Just, just take me down a couple more, a couple more layers there, Michael. And so, you can imagine the Bible. Oh yeah, someone, thank you. Someone just pointed out no food on the carpet. Um, <laughs> if there are people who think this is food, I'll bring it over to you and you can eat it. <laughs> All right. So, so, so here we go. So now we get into the thicker. Listen to this. Where's my mic here? Oh, crunchy onion. Mm-mm. Thicker, tastier onion. Mmm. And we could, oh yeah, he would, he would eat it raw, wouldn't he? That's right. So, so now we're getting, and this is the point that the Bible is, it has a, 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 an enjoyable layer, so simple a child can enjoy it. But you can keep going, you can keep diving into the truths of the Bible and you can find that it's, it's deep enough to puzzle a professor. That's how deep it is. And look at this, we're going deep now. This is a demonstration of how deep you can go with the Bible. So, 
And there we go. This has got three core, Andrew. Yeah, that looks like a nose, looks like two eyes. Right there, Kim, just grab it. Grab a photo of that nose, two eyes. You can't see the nose and two eyes unless you go deep. That's the same as... Right, thank you. We finished? I think we're finished. Thank you. Oh, we're not... Okay. All right, right, bit more. Okay, so we're going really deep. Really deep. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was a half-hearted clap, wasn't it? That was like... So, but, but what I'm... What I'm saying is we, we, can read this, we could read this account or hear the account of, the, of what we're about to look at and a child could get it. A child could go, got it. But it, would, it, it could also be something that professors can write really thick books about and that is actually what has happened. Let me recap a little bit about what we saw in our first instalment. In the beginning, there was nothing but God and the way the sacred book renders that is this in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now right there a child can get that God created everything that's that's what it's saying and as with the way Hebrew storytelling unfolds it makes a statement and then it says now let me explain that statement to you and that's what we see in the opening chapter and we might explain that statement by saying this after God had created the universe including our planet with the capacity for sustaining life and that's not a small thing in fact as far as we know planet earth is the only planet in the entire universe with the capacity to sustain life he then created mankind that's what we looked at he did that and and this is how the sacred scripture presents it then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them they were created in the image of God and God blessed them the scripture says and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth so now we're going to dial down even further we're going to the scripture does this we're going to see that it's now going to say let me explain that last bit so this installment this this second installment is the true story of the origin of mankind subtitled why men are not from mars and women are not from venus they are from somewhere just outside eden having outlined the six phases of creation the story now delves deeper into the last part of the sixth phase after announcing that the creator had entered into his current seventh phase rest which by the way every every one of the sixth phases says that phase ended there is no statement that says the seventh phase has ended we're in it the creator is in it and it renders it this way in genesis chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day well, the seventh after on the seventh phase god finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done and so now the the story is going to delve deeper 
It's going to delve deeper into the story of the creation of mankind. This story includes a description of how the creator, first, before he created mankind, which we're not told, so there's details we're going to get now, which we were not told in the opening story, but what we're told now is that the creator first planted a garden. So we're told in phases one through to six that he created trees and plants, microbial life, we're told that he created sea life, bird life, what we call wildlife. I don't know that they were particularly wild at the time. Small creatures, small animals, large animals. But there was a part of his creation where he said, no, 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 just, this is just going to be bare for a moment. I just want this bare soil. And as the creator selected this bare patch of land, after having created everything except mankind, hasn't created mankind yet he decided this would be the site for a garden that he would create the new english translation renders that hebrew word orchard and i think that's probably a fair way to describe it on this site this patch of land where god maps out this is where i'm going to put a garden some scholars believe it would have been and it would have had to have been hundreds of acres which is dozens of hectares if you're into that language and this is how the scripture renders this account of the story and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so God had established these trees and after he had established his fruit garden which had these two mystical trees in it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It was then that he set about to create mankind from existing material. If you're into chemistry, biochemistry, the bulk of that material is called carbon. Then the scripture says in chapter 2 and verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Or the old King James renders it a living soul. Nefesh. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And that should be, and I checked this, if you're into English, the Lord God had planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And so God gave Adam, which by the way, I could and probably should say Adam, because it's not his name, it's what he is. Adam means it's the Hebrew word for man. So God created Adam, Adam, to find meaning, value and purpose in doing two things, working and protecting. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And that word keep means to guard and protect it. He was the guardian of it. As Adam learned to work and as he learned to protect Eden, keep certain things out that shouldn't be in, God told him not to eat of the the forbidden tree's fruit. Of the tree of life, God said, you may eat. And quite possibly he did. And that's what sustained him. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, do not eat of that. 
verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, must, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And he didn't have to ask God, what does die mean? But over time, living and working in paradise, in harmony with animals and the garden that God had planted, Adam increasingly sensed that something was missing. Something was missing. What was missing? He was created in the image of a God who has never been alone. And Adam began to feel alone. He was not created to be alone. And so he tried to fill this sense of something missing, even because he wasn't created to be alone. He wasn't created to work alone. He wasn't created to guard and protect alone. He wasn't created to enjoy the garden alone. He wasn't created to only please himself by being alone. He wasn't created to be that. And yet he didn't quite know. As much as he enjoyed his regular time with God, and the text indicates that God would come into the garden and walk with Adam regularly. And as they walked together and talked with each other, he enjoyed his time with, with the animals. And, and there's good reason to suspect that he could communicate with them and they could communicate with him. As we see in the next chapter, when a snake begins to talk, they didn't think anything of it. And yet, in looking at all of these animals of which he gave names to them, because when you name something, you are exercising your authority over it, your superiority over it, by the way. He didn't find an equal companion to share all of these blessings with, of living in paradise and everything else. So, when man... When God saw that man realized his need, he caused Adam to sleep and he took from his side what God needed to create woman. When he created woman, it was God who served as father of the bride, who brought the woman to the bridegroom and he then wedded them, having designed them biologically perfectly to be wedded ultimately in sexual union designed to be done within a covenant ceremony a covenant ceremony is a commitment and here's how the text describes the exchange of vows and that covenant ceremony then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And based on this very first covenant, this very first covenant ceremony of marriage done by God, and we can see that as we'll, we'll see in the, the text, when a man and woman wanted to unite from that point on, they made vows to each other and they left their parental homes from that point to start their lives together notice verse 24 the marriage language therefore a man 
shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his, note the word, wife. And they shall become one flesh, one in body and soul. The man and the woman, and I'm using those words because that's what Adar means and that's what Eve means. Well, sorry, no, it doesn't yet. I've jumped ahead in the story. The man and the woman enjoyed perfect happiness and companionship as equals. And although they were naked, they were unknowingly clothed in God's glory, which it describes later on in Ezekiel that they were clothed in God's glory and they were clothed in their own innocence. They'd not done anything wrong and this formed a type of spiritual garment that they enjoyed. But then, an evil intruder entered into Eden and lured the man and woman to rebel against the maker and his command about the forbidden tree's fruit. The man and the woman, the moment they rebelled, immediately forfeited God's covering of glory and they immediately forfeited their innocence and they were left standing there experiencing nakedness for the first time as the stain of evil now seeped into their once pristine souls detecting the disturbance the creator as he often did but now he came with concern he came again into Eden rather having assessed what had happened and hearing the flimsy excuses that the man and the woman had given for their rebellion a symptom of the evil that had now seeped into their soul rather than eternally condemning the now fallen man and woman for their rebellion their evil rebellion he set about to implement a plan to redeem them This story explains so much about why the world is the way it is. The enemy that came in, the intruder that came in, identified later as Satan, a creature whom God confined to the body of a snake at that time. And when mankind rebelled against God, The Bible tells us that he's able to take many shapes and forms now. And this enemy, this intruder, wants to undermine the very things that God did right there. It includes our environment. It was God's will for Adam and Eve to make the entire earth an Eden, a garden beautiful 
giving the abundance of food, fruit, vegetables and so on that mankind could have enjoyed. He broke the harmony that that man enjoyed with God himself and he still wants to do it. And he broke the union and the harmony that man and woman felt and had before they fell into rebellion. That's what we mean by the fall. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 20, I mentioned that when Adam named the animals, he was, he was expressing his superiority over the animals. I corrected myself before when I said Eve means woman. It doesn't. Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 20, after the fall, it says he named the woman. Do you hear what we're saying? He named the woman Eve. He began the root of dominance over a woman that God had never intended. But here's the good news. God embarked on a plan of redemption, a plan of rescue, a plan where he would send his son into the world. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it, it, it says, speaking to the woman and to Satan in the form of that snake, God declares one day a descendant from this very woman will come and he will crush your head. And that's what Jesus did when he came on the cross. So now here, this is the end of the second installment of the eight greatest and true stories in the Bible. So now let me do this. Let me introduce you to the author, God himself. If you have never made peace with God, you are not a million miles away from God. You don't have to do a course. You don't have to attend church week after week. You don't have to do that. As we heard Blair say over the table this morning, it's all been done. You just have to, from your heart, say, God, I want to know you. I'm not innocent. I feel the stain of that that's come down the line to me. And now I want to be cleansed of that stain and be forgiven. And if that's you, you're just one prayer away from that right now. A prayer that says, God, please forgive me. Cleanse me and help me to live the way you designed for me to live from this point on. And you talk to God like that, that's called a prayer. And I'm going to close in prayer now. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that each one of us would come to know you, our maker, designer and creator and redeemer and Lord for those perhaps who have their lives in a bit of a bit of a pickle at the moment just like Adam and Eve did that Lord you at that time set in train a a plan to rescue them and to cleanse them that would ultimately culminate in the coming of your son and so now Lord we can look back and see it's all been done So Father, I pray for those who really want to be cleansed. They want to be forgiven. They want a brand new start in life. They want that that ache of loneliness in their heart because now, not like Adam had no one, he had you. And Father, right now there are many people who don't have you in their life right now and that's an ache that they feel right now. And if that's you, I invite you to ask 
God who's listening to your heart right now. Say, God, I want to know you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, guarantee you, absolute guarantee, your life will begin to change for the better. And now, Father, I pray that we, we who have come to accept your forgiveness, come to accept your cleansing, that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we've heard tonight, after God had created the universe, including our planet with the capacity for sustaining life, He then created mankind. God created Adam to find meaning and purpose in working and protecting. He created Eve to fulfill Adam's need for companionship and the marriage relationship was ordained. More from Dr. Corbett next week with The Real Prince of Egypt. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.